joined by Amit Serper, who is currently at Sternum, right? That's that's where it is, right? Yeah. Amit? yeah. And um, it was really awesome that we got to work together for four years, five years? Uh, for, for something like that. Four, I want to say four? Yeah, four. I think, I think we started in 2016, and then you left in 2021? Yeah, so January, five years. Like right at the beginning of 2021, yeah. Right. And, and, and you always brought a certain flair to research and a good perspective to stuff. And it was always fun to work with you. And uh, I can still see the guitar in your background. And I'm, I've just been dying to I catch must, up with you. But I almost yeah. feel like we should start on music this time instead of starting on cybersecurity. We almost always end on music. Oh, okay. every, every episode. It's like music or gaming music. or something like that. We end on, let's start there this time. So, Guys, you um, drive, you drive. Just to, well, Okay, so, so we, before we do that, before we can talk about music, we have to mention the fact that you're a new father. That's yeah. happened. Yeah. That's so um, what's, what's that like? And, and then we can talk about how that's affected music because, of course, <laughs> babies and music are really important, et cetera. Um, yeah, so I became a dad um, in October of 2021. So, um, it's, it's, it's been a while. It has. Yeah. So I'm I'm a shameful friend. I haven't spoken to you in a while. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm surviving. I'm thriving. Um, it's, it's, it's been, it's been great. It was, um, um, uh, I became, I became a dad when I was almost 35. So I waited and I waited because I, uh, you know, I was having a good time. Speaking in conferences, traveling, meeting people, doing stuff. Doing this COVID happened. <laughs> and then hey, COVID I happened. was 39 when I became a dad, so I can relate, man. Oh, like, yeah. I'm an really? old, I'm an old bastard. Yeah. Yeah. So, so eventually, you know, we were like cooped up at the house for so long. And we watched everything from The Sopranos to Twin Peaks to uh, 11th <laughs> season of Real Housewives of New Jersey. Like we so went we ran through. out of other things to do? Yeah. yeah, ah, yeah I guess I'll know. be a dad now. I've done everything else. Yeah, I think I think it's time. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been great. She's awesome. She speaks, uh, she, she's starting to talk. She speaks three different languages. It's awesome. So, so Hebrew, English. Hebrew, English, what's the third one? And uh, Portuguese. So our nanny... Right now, oh, wow. she's with a nanny, and uh, our nanny is Brazilian, so she speaks Portuguese to her. Oh, she so. can be better than than my sales team at Brazilian deals. Then, <laughs> that's awesome. um, yeah. If you, um, uh, the only thing is that she needs to be changed a few times a day. So, <laughs> so do salespeople, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> my own sales team right now is either laughing or going to kill me. But, yeah, should yeah. we bleep that part out, Sam? No, <laughs> keep it. It's real, right? And it's spectacular. That's funny. Yeah. So, so um, I imagine in my head that you started playing music to her when she was very young, because I, I know that was always a big part of your life. And, and our friend Elliot and you used to jam all the time around the office, or at least at home when you when you when you were working together. Yeah. Um, so I, I I I'm I think that more than I'm a, a researcher, I'm a musician. Although I haven't been active in the past uh, seven to eight months. Um, but a- yeah, active I, as a musician, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I was in a band, and we released an album. And I um, I, I I quit on uh, a few months ago. I, I left the band just for differences. And um, it sounds like a Beatles thing, man. Like differences. The yeah, which Beatles? Don't, you don't know. You don't, there, there was no Yoko involved. But I, I was about to say, yeah. I mean, you're right. Bad vibe. Except bad vibe. Yeah. yeah. With with music, music is at least for me. Um, it's very 
as a matter of fact, it's like, it's like that with everything I do. If you remember, like when we were working together, I used to get very animated when when, mm-hmm. when stupid passionate, were, passionate, yeah. mm-hmm. passionate. Okay, let's 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 settle on passionate. Yep. Um, I used to I used to get very passionate when when you would when, turn up at my desk and be like, "How can we be doing this? How can we not be doing that?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> remember like, remember desk because... remember like an office. I haven't yeah. been to an office in like three years. Um, oh and, my god! Yeah. And um, and just like with 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 the way i treat my work i i treat you know music and and what i do and what i create with a lot of seriousness and uh, there were some bad vibes and i just decided i need to uh get out of that situation so i i I left that band uh but the album is is on spotify Um, nice what's it called so so we can put links to it and stuff uh, the band name is ben moses b-e-n-m-o-z-e-s i used to play play drums there um so, so uh, you're primarily a drummer, right? That's yeah, know. yeah. I'm. I, I I started playing the drums. I think when I was thirteen. And I'm thirty six now, so you do the math. Um, did you did you start doing technology security hacking first before drums or drums first? Which one have you been doing long? I think that like I you know I've been I had a computer since I was five, but I think that like programming and and like you know trying to understand how things work i think i started at around that age actually 13 14 so around the same so around, around that age wow, i never 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 actually thought of it yeah right, so yeah. as soon as you you actually contrasted um music and research and w- back in 2017 i was in tel aviv you were in tel aviv and you did that crazy thing with not pet yeah um does um do you, is your approach to music similar to your approach to research or are they completely unrelated in your mind it's a really good question. So I never, so just like with computers and, and I think anything else that I do, I never really had formal training. So I like um, music. I I I, uh, I had five uh, drumming lessons in my entire life, and when I when I was uh, actually after I started playing. So I I, I got a drum set uh, from a family from a family friend who stopped playing and gave me his drum set. Um, and I your started, parents must I, have been thrilled about that. Um, I, they didn't I, I, like your parents, right? That's <laughs> yeah, they, what? They, hated your they didn't like your parents. They gave you, gave you drums. No, out. my parents actually really supported it. That was really cool. And um, I, I, I lived in a in a. Uh, I was fortunate to live in a big house that had a, a, a separate basement. So I was just in the basement. Like, I think that the neighbors um, suffered more than my parents. If I'm being honest, the, the neighbors paid for you to go away or to go anywhere. Actually, that's why he lives well, in the United States all now. All the neighbors, all of them, all of them were terrible. So I think that it was a win-win situation for nice. everyone in my nice. household. Uh, but uh, so I, I started playing the drums and then I took a few lessons and then I went like, I, I just wanted a guy to teach me like how to read notes. And then I just got books and I listened to music and I learned on my own. So when people ask me like, who, are, who was your drum teacher? I'm like, oh, it was Ian Pace from uh, Deep Purple and Taylor Hawkins from Foo Fighters. And <laughs> I, 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 you know, I would listen to the song in the headphones and I would play along with it. Um, so rock is your thing. Like rock, huh? rock is your genre. Yeah, yeah, or what, yeah. What's your, yeah. Uh, you can kind of see by the posters behind you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, rock is the main thing, but um, you know, I listen, I listen to pretty much Everything other than country music, if I'm being honest, uh, I, I, I love Gotta hate jazz. on something. Yep. Yeah. I love jazz. What about folk? Where's the line for you? It's like folk and Americana. Is that too country? It really depends. It really depends. I, I don't know. Like some things just don't like. 
you know, when I, when I listen to like some, if it's like too twangy and too like complainy and, and stuff, I, I can't. So if it's back my truck over the dog, my wife left me, like that, yeah, that's yeah. too far in the country. Not a fan of that. Not a fan of that. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I don't listen to a lot of like newer music. I'm, I'm, uh, I think I was like left, like my mind was left in the nineties in the grunge area era. Nice. Sorry. And like that's 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 my jam, and that's what I listen to mostly. But I I, I love music. It's 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 my like number one um, uh, uh, love in life. And I think that uh, computers and security and all of that comes to a, a very close second. But unfortunately, what pays the bills is not music. Is that a bass guitar behind you, or is it a guitar? That is a bass guitar. That is I thought Fender, it was. It looked like uh, from the strings. It looked like Jaguar bass. So do you play the bass as well? Yeah, so I started playing the bass a few years after I uh, I started playing the drums uh, when I was in high school. Also, I, I taught myself, um, and then I also um, I had a guitar. Uh, like I played the guitar too, but my, the guitar that I had uh, fell and broke, so I don't have it anymore. R.I.P. I need to buy a new one. Yeah, um, and yeah, so I, I'm. Uh, do you, do you, do you gravitate to music that is the foundational stuff? Do you, do you like because drums is often you know, the band plays around the drums and the, and the bass is often the beat or am I reading too much into that? Uh, no, you're, you're right. And I, I think that I, I love being in those areas. Like I love, I love, again, I'm a drummer first and I love being in the place where, um, you know, I like to keep simple, get to keep things simple in the drums. I'm not one of those people that like go all out and, uh, not, not a Neil Peart. Um, no, not, not a Neil really, fan. Is that possible? Um, you don't I just, tell me. Tell me no. What you, you don't like Neil Peart? Oh my god! Oh, I, I I love Rush and Neil Peart. Of course. <laughs> By the way, it's Peart. Pronounced Peart. Peart. You're correct. You're correct. Uh, I say Peart. Uh, we have a Canadian on the, on the phone, I'm a Canadian and right, someone who knows music well yeah, enough yeah. to know the pronunciation, and then me. Yeah. yeah. Making uh, up as I go. So I, I I love Rush. It's just that um, my style is I like to keep things simple and i don't want uh, people to know that 2112 is just too much is that really, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really good song no but when i play I, I like to keep it simple and i don't like to go by the way one of the reasons why i, I, I left the band is um, the, the, the guy wanted uh, me to be like more you know do more crazy stuff and i'm like why why do we need to do that i mean i can do it it's not a problem it's just like we don't what's need the that. point yeah. yeah i mean keep it simple no one needs to know them that, that that like the drums are not the main thing here and so I, I love being in that place where I'm in, in the back holding everyone, whether it's yeah. on the bass or the drums, just like tying everyone together. I think that's a really good spot for me. And I, I, I enjoy that in music. I'm not a, when I play guitar, I don't like, I'm not a solo guy. I don't, I, I don't have the ability to play like guitar solos. It's just like. Nice. Well, what always amazes me with Rush is it's three people. Like that's, it blows my mind. Yeah. And right. Getty Lee, uh, mm -hmm. Getty Lee, the, singer and bass yeah. player also like there are songs and shows where he stands next to a keyboard and plays a keyboard with one hand and his bass mm -hmm. just like, taps the frets in another hand and sings it's just it's like, like the same amount of talent yeah by the way Sanity. i know you have a flight coming up so if your daughter lets you there's a book by chuck klosterman called the 90s and like I lived through the nineties and I read it and it tied so much together for me. So, Hey, if you're looking for something to read on the plane, on the oh, great. Or I'll check it out. It's, a, it's a good one. Yeah. yeah it was, it it's super cool. Cause it's, it ties all the, 
I guess we'd say memes today, but it, it, everything that happened in the night sort of gets tied together. And I, I'm struggling oh, to find something we didn't include. Yeah. Oh, great. I'll check it out. I was actually looking for something. Thanks. <clears throat> One of the go. things that I, I think is really interesting about, um, about music and security in this case, and it goes back to what you said about teaching yourself uh, in the security information space, everyone debates what a, the term hacker is, right? And so there's my definition. And I think there's, then there's CNN's definition, which are <laughs> completely two sides of the spectrum that there's somewhere in between. Uh, but my definition has always been, it's someone who can like look at a system and wants to know how that system works, mm. disassemble that system and sometimes create functionality for themselves. It's like exploitation of a system, a hacker hacking system is saying, I'm going to figure out how this works and make it do something different. Right. But for both music and security, it sounds like what drives you in a lot of those is focusing on that, seeing what is this pattern, listening to the music, and then reverse engineering that to create your own unique take on it. And same it's, thing with security is that's it, what you do is your job. You're so spot on. It's it's exactly what I think. You know, when I, I um, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of instances where I, I would listen to music and I would listen, like there's an album that I listen to. I mean, if that was, I, I listened to it, since I'm in high school, it's a totally underrated album. Nobody likes that album but me, I think. It's, uh, uh, <laughs> I'll share it. What is uh, it? Bruce Dickinson, that is, um, so he's uh, Iron Maiden's legendary singer. So in the 90s, he actually left Iron Maiden and went on a solo career. And he released a few albums. And that was in the 90s, like my favorite era in, in rock music. And uh, Bruce Dickinson is British. And during, I just finished his, I just finished reading his autobiography. And you are part British, as I recall, too. Yeah. As am I, technically, yeah. Yes, yes. Part. Yeah. Um, and um, and uh, Bruce Dickinson released a few albums that kind of sounded like Iron Maiden. And then he was, and then the, the, the grunge music was exploding in, in, in America and in Seattle and, you know, slowly making its way through, uh, through and to and through Europe. And Dickinson said, you know, I want to make something that sounds like kind of grungy. And he actually hired an American producer from Seattle uh, the name escapes me right now. Um, and they made an album and he actually took, he took his touring band. Um, and, and he wanted to say, oh, you know what? I don't want to be called Bruce Dickinson anymore. I want to have a band and I want to call the band, the band skunk works. And I want to create an album. So he actually made that album and his record label said, you know, if we're going to release it as skunk works, no one, no one's going to know who, who it is and no one's going to buy the album. So might as well call it Bruce Dickinson and then call the album Skunk Works. So they actually made this album, and I, th I honestly think it's one of the best, best rock albums that I've ever heard. And that album failed epically. No. It failed epically to the point where, like, there were almost no live shows, the, 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 the songs are not, like, no one knows them. And I love this album to the point, I don't know if you can see it, but I actually have it here. Oh, yeah, in the oh, poster? Wow. Yeah, or in the yeah, frame, rather. Yeah, there in the frame yeah. with a with a vinyl record. So, I, I love this album, and um, and I, and what I was what I started to say is I, I I listened to this album I don't know thousands of times, and every time I listen to it, I'm focusing on something else. Like sometimes I'm like, oh my god, that bass part here is so good; it really like really makes the song. And oh my god, the drums here, and, and there were there were a trio. It was just three of them. The guitar is so good in this part, and I'm like I'm sitting and analyzing it in my head and listening and listening to it a hundred times and and that's how i'm i'm listening to music I, I don't just like put a song on and just let it play i like i really focus on 
the the parts and wow they did this this is so cool and the bass and the guitar playing in unison or he's uh it's an it's an uh, an octave higher of what the singer like i'm just really really getting lost in it and sometimes i ramble about it and like i tell i tell my wife about it and she's like she doesn't care <laughs> so so years so years ago i mean i i had this absolutely nutty teacher uh, i think you know one of my one of my degrees is in lit and he challenged me. He said, Hey Sam, what is an aesthetic experience and why can everybody have it? Like, why is it universal? Like when you have that ah moment hmm. and we, I mean, when I say he was nutty, he used to like shake and get angry in class at people's papers and stuff. And he was one of those super fun teachers that really inspires you, but also terrifies you secretly. And his theory, I'll shorten it was that there's these elements that make up any art so like in lit, there's things like setting and characters and themes and stuff like that. But <clears throat> when they're all super well done and they're all really well integrated where you, you intellectually get it and then it blends and it becomes transparent and then you perceive something bigger and then you have an emotional reaction to it, I, I, you get that aha moment and, and, I, and you can get it with any art form. But, but you've got to invest yourself in it to understand each other. I really parts. agree. It's it's such a cool observation because it's 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 that that's how I feel about you know um, art that I enjoy. If it's uh, if it's film or if it's uh, music or if it's photography or if it's well written exploits. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, I, I mean, I really like like no joke. That that's how I it's feel. Elegant. Right? It's elegant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 beautiful, and I think that it's it's such a cool way of, of it's the wow of moment expression. You know, so you're sitting there and you're like piecing it together, and then there comes a point where you just go harmony, like and you just yeah. and you bliss out. Yeah, so you get yeah. that from that album more than anything else from music. Yeah, the, uh, you know, if, 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 like you said harmony but i mean like my favorite thing maybe not harmony or melody or whatever but no, no, I mean, I just some... say it's like my favorite thing in in music like when i used to write arrangement arrangements for for bands i play with because I, i've been playing in, in bands for 20 years just like again i made albums they're on spotify um harmonies was like my thing and and, mm. and i got that also from another uh, a, a band from the 90s uh alice in chains they're unplugged mtv unplugged legendary mm -hmm. legendary and like their thing was harmonizing vocals and like that's also something that like i took with me because in almost any album i recorded i'm doing like harmonized vocals and like backing vocals in the background like that's my thing and 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 again music is just like the the, the finest form of, of of art in my opinion because you have you know three four five more people like working together making something together and everyone plays on his on, on their own but when they're combined together it's just like mind-blowing i i could go on for for hours <laughs> you should i mean you should. <laughs> no no you, you absolutely should i mean so the most recent nobel prize in physics was about how the universe is not local or real and there's a point that i'm saying this it's that waves and that um harmonics are actually kind of important hmm. so there's a there's something to the universe that we are actually all about waves. And I'm saying that not facetiously, like there's some beauty in that and there's some beauty in the music. So it actually really super matters. So you're saying science backs the hippies now. Yeah, man, it totally does. And the Who grunge. 
music yeah, is math. Music is is yes. is math, and music That's is true. something very tangible. I mean, you know how. If you play a major chord on the guitar, your brain hears that and says, oh, that's a happy mm -hmm. song. When you play a minor chord, oh, that sounds kind of sad, right? But it's just a sound. It's just a bunch of frequencies. It's just a bunch, <laughs> bunch of waves traveling through the air and hitting your eardrum. But your brain... But we actually hear work. No, we actually, we actually communicate emotions through those. And it's very clear. But it's a like, shared experience, too. Like, that was the major minor example. I often that, I often wonder what would what would an alien hear and take emotionally from music that we play, right? What would they, what would they bring? Depends from, if it's a country song or not. I think. Yeah, no, so, <laughs> you said something. Or folk. Or, or, I, I like folk music. I'm going to go. No, to I like festival. you too. And, and, and we love you. And we love you for country, it. Countries yeah. where I <laughs> sure, sure you do. Yeah, you be you. There's something you said a few minutes There's ago. There's going to be hate comments in to this one, aren't there? Aren't hey. there when, Oh, that's, I'm, I'm that's saying, okay. That's fine. That is my that is my personal <laughs> subjective opinion. It, do you, by the way, do you think that's because it didn't where you grew up? It wasn't really a thing because where well, I grew up, it wasn't music, either really country music. Well, I yeah. didn't grow up in the states. I, I moved. That's why I'm saying that. Yeah, I moved to the states seven years ago. But uh, you know, I'm from Israel. Israel is very influenced by the U.S. Like, but not so much by the country music cultural element. Um, I actually think that I'm mean, sure we tried. CIA tried <laughs> country discs and blue jeans. We shipped uh, we shipped a lot of good country uh, stars to Israel, and when they went down, yeah, I mean the the the, <laughs> the country like country music like the way it sounds in America didn't really make it to Israel, but anything everything else did. Like, but there is Israel. Like, there's a lot of folk music that exists. Yes, yes, in the culture. Yes, in both Jewish and Israeli again. culture, or the one yes. and the same sometimes. Absolutely. Um, if, if any of you, uh, uh, do you know who Mark Lanigan is or was rather he, he passed away? Uh, so Mark Lanigan, uh, one of his best songs, he actually, uh, completely ripped it off from an old Israeli, uh, folk song. No. Oh. Uh, uh, don't forget me is the name of, of Mark Lanigan's song. And he, he, he like, if you'll Google it, he, he said it, he said it himself to the point where he used to play in Israel a lot. I actually, I actually saw him. I saw him twice. One was in Israel. One, one was in, in, in Boston. And in the time that I saw him in Israel, he played that song, Don't Forget Me. And the audience joined in by singing the original lyrics in Hebrew mm. to that song. That's cool. Right? So um, um, those things happen. But, um, um, you know, it's, 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 a matter of, it's a matter of personal preference. Uh, country music is not my thing. And... Uh, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I think many people share the share the sentiment. It's funny because for me, country music wasn't really a thing, but there's some. There's some. My wife really likes it, and so I hear more of it. And it's some that I started to started to like. And older country music was a thing where I grew up because I grew up in Canada for the most part. And so suddenly, out of the blue, an old country song will come on, and I'll like really like it. My wife's like, "What's wrong with you? This is like my parents' generation." And I'm like. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you're uh, like me. You're an old soul. I'm an old soul. That's what it is. <clears throat> I'm actually old, by the way. That's the other thing. Like, it catches up with you. Ah, uh, um, you, you look good. You look good for your age. Thanks, don't, man. Don't let anybody tell you. Else. That's uh, I'm. I'm going to take that one. Yep. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, so, so back to cyber. So you, you, you have changed your career a couple of times, and you're doing IoT based research now, right? And I. How is that going? 
Yeah. So I actually, um, or OT as well. So, so before, before I joined, uh, cyber reason, which is where you did some, I remember you also did some stuff around Miron. I actually did that. Yeah. I, I, I used to do, um, when I worked for, so when I was still in Israel before joining cyber reason, I, I used to work for the government in Israel and I did. That's a surprise. I, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I was there for like nine years in total. Uh, Mm. and in the last three years, um, I really focused on, um, uh, uh, what was then a brand new field of IOT exploitation, because we're talking about 2010, I want to say, yeah, yeah. you know, things were starting to get stacks and there weren't as many devices around doing that. Things just started becoming smart and this whole trend like just started and, and um, I, 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 I remember I, in, in 2011, I actually went to uh, uh, Black Hat and DEF CON for the first time uh, from Israel. And that was like, it was like a 20 hour trip just to get from Tel Aviv to Vegas. And I remember watching a, a talk by a dude called um, Zachary Cutlip, where mm-hmm. he showed how he exploited his um, uh, router. He had a router, and he explained. He, it's it's a really cool talk. Uh, it's 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 on YouTube, obviously. Um, and and I saw it. I was like, oh my god, it's it's a little computer. I mean, it's 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 like like no 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 shit. It's like it's a Linux computer, and like yeah. you do there's, there's a real processing capability yeah. on that thing. Yeah, and, and everyone and everyone has them, and and it's crazy because if you find a popular enough device, and and you have a way to run arbitrary code on it you won like it's it's you won, literally you won the internet and a few years after someone actually did that and if you remember the dyne uh the dyne ddos mm-hmm. and i think it was 2017 someone actually yep. did that like they created a botnet based on a bunch of i don't know like roombas and routers and 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 they took down the, the entire big chunk of the internet yeah. yeah so uh, when i saw that it blew my mind because um it's like you know, it's it's everyone, everyone at, at that time again. It's 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 2010. Um, the, all the rage was Metasploit and exploiting Windows boxes and, and doing all of those things and Windows XP vulnerabilities and stuff. And like, that's cool. That's really interesting. That's awesome. And and everybody everybody does that. But if we're talking about you know those tiny things that are in so mm-hmm. many devices. And we can actually hack them and run code on them and exploit them and do something on them that where, where, where it's not supposed to do. And you know, when when you talk about exploiting regular machines or servers, you always say, "Oh, I have a firewall. I have an." You know, back then, there was no EDR. Like, I have an AV. I have a firewall. I have an application firewall or whatever. But if you're talking about exploiting like the little router, that router is is um, uh, be, uh, not behind the firewall. It's in front of it. It's the first thing that touches the internet. And all of the traffic that flows out of the network, right, through all of your fancy security appliances, ends up going through that router that you can exploit mm-hmm. at that time very easily. And that, like, blew my mind. And I felt like this is a very, very big blind spot that, that people are not aware of or the industry are not aware of. And, and it was perceived as junk hacking. Oh look! I got a shell on a router. I got a shell on a. No, it's it's serious business. So I, I used to do that. It's 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 a very. I I, I took you on a trip, uh, for that for that. Uh, no, it's good. So I remember 2010. Everyone was talking about. You mentioned the word smart as well, and 
smart grid was happening here in the US. And the government pumped billions into trying to upgrade the grid to be, quote, smart. And so then I went on a tour of five, no, six different power companies. And I went to one. And what was happening at the time was the internal networks were like three or 4,000 people, but the external networks were like hundreds of thousands of systems. And I said, so what are you guys doing for smart grid? They're like, oh, we're rolling out all these devices to homes. And I said, okay, what are you rolling out? And they said, oh, we got a bunch of Landis and Gear devices we're sending out. I said, oh, that's good because they got like some neat things coming for security. They said, no, no, we're rolling them out today. <laughs> and I said, wait, you know security stuff is coming in six months, but you're rolling them out today? Why? They said, because there's $125 million available today to roll these devices out insecure. And if we wait for it, the money won't be there and we won't be able to roll them out. So we're going to roll them out now and we'll just take the insecure devices. I said, how many are you rolling out? They said half a million to homes. There are, And I was like, half a million known insecure devices is preferable to you to waiting and maybe rolling out 100,000 secure devices and then having to fund the rest. Yep. You just and reminded so me, you just remind me something because all of those, like, um, let's just call it IoT. But all yeah. of those IoT projects, right? Smart meters, smart whatever, things. routers, yeah. whatever. All of those things, usually, 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 there's very little thought in not only securing those devices, but in like, okay, how do we keep it secure, right? Mm-hmm. You have to deploy firmware, oh, yeah. to update firmware. No, there's like, I'm telling you, it's like, I did this thing and then left it for like 10 years doing other things in security. And then now that I'm back to it, I'm like, I'm sure there's like plenty of advancements and, and plenty of new things. No, nothing. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's really bad. It's, it's, it's as bad as it was like 10 years ago. And, and, and this is what, by the way, this is like what we're trying to, to, to make better at Sternum, like with our product. Well, so you've always been a master at using Twitter and we'll talk about that in a minute because I think I don't do that anymore, but, but you, you, you used to, and, yeah. and this topic that you, you just mentioned, I have been so worried that companies are going to exist, especially startups for like three or four years. And these devices will last for like 30. You said something recently and I got all snide in a response and said, <laughs> Oh, cause you said, Hey, the company's not, not going to keep updating this. And I said, Oh, typical companies or something. And then you actually wrote back and said, no, they, they got the message. <laughs> and well, they, they said that they did. I still, I haven't, they seen haven't confirmed update. it, but that was, yeah. was that, was that working? Like did the, did the snideness and the, and you calling it out, actually have so, an effect so here's what happened here's what happened um so uh, uh myself and my, my teammate from sternum proven uh we were uh, working on this device uh, the, the, the i took off its front panel but this is a smart mm-hmm. electrical socket right you plug this yep. into your power and you pick out a couple whatever of you want here and then you can like turn it off and turn it on from your phone or whatever uh or that from thing, around the world mm-hmm. that thing is a linux computer that thing actually here that yep. that square board here is a linux for our, our listeners only our non-video participants oh. he's pointing to a board and oh i didn't know that there's yeah. a audio only yeah i am he held holding, up a plug i'm holding yeah. a plug with a small square uh with two boards on it one of them is square and smaller and this is actually a linux computer that's and the small one is the computer that's yes not, yes the, yeah. the big one is just a bunch of resistors and relays and um and we started uh doing like a, a vulnerability research project on it Within, I'm not kidding, minutes, we found a buffer overflow um, and then worked on exploiting it. And uh, in order to exploit it, we had to get the firmware. We didn't have the firmware, so I actually had to dump it straight from the chip. Like, fun stuff. Um, but after we post, after we had everything ready, we wanted to disclose it to the vendor. 
So um, uh, I went and, and I approached uh, Belkin, who's the vendor, uh, through their bug bounty partner, uh, which is uh, Bug Crowd, and I disclosed the vulnerability and haven't heard anything back for weeks. And then in back in January of this year, I, I, I was speaking at a, at a conference in DC. I was speaking at ShmooCon, and I met uh, Casey Ellis, who is the CTO and, 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 and uh, co-founder, I think, or founder or co-founder of, of BugCrowd. Like we started talking, I was like, hey, man, you know, I just, I, I disclosed something a few weeks ago. I haven't heard it back. I don't know, like, this is pretty bad. It's like code execution on the device. He's like, oh, tell me the, can you, can you give me the submission ID? I gave it to him. And like a day after... I get a response. They're like, That's good. "Yeah, we checked it with the vendor. They're saying that it's end of life, and they're not going Ooh. to. Uh, they're not going to patch it." I'm like, "Oh, okay, interesting. End of life. I mean, I just got that device, and and um, nothing said that. It, like, nothing in the app on their website. Nothing said that it's end of life. But now we have a critical vulnerability on it, and they're not going to patch it because it's end of life. Okay, no problem. I'll just go to Miter. I'll disclose it to them. I'll get a CVE, and then everyone will know. And we did that, and and I have to say, like I, I told the, the the marketing folks at Stern, I was like, listen, it's not really interesting, you know, it's not like it's it's a smart, it's a Wi-Fi smart plug, you know, like eh, who cares? And like the exploitation itself, like simple stack buffer overflow, like nothing, nothing crazy. And um, and the marketing, I was like, no, this is like a lot of people have the devices have that device and he actually went on amazon and started reading reviews and like he came up with like some way of, of knowing how popular this device is and apparently it's pretty popular so um after we got the cve and, and finished the disclosure process obviously we released a research blog with all of the technical information and that went i like very surprisingly it went really wild to the point where all of the subreddits that are talking about home automation smart homes appliances, whatever, like there were like a good eight to 10 subreddits that were like obsessing over this issue and calling Belkin out, like saying, I have like six of those things in my house and I just bought them like three months ago. They're not, how can mm. it be? How is it end of life? How didn't you tell us? And this is a critical vulnerability that exposes us. And you're telling us that you're not going to patch it. Like what the hell? So a day after they actually reached out to The Verge, who were one of the first websites to cover the story. And they said, oh, okay, we're going to release a patch. Okay. And I was like, okay, cool. I mean, I still, I, I, to my knowledge, they didn't release anything yet. Maybe I'm wrong. I just, I stopped following it, if I'm being honest. But um, I haven't seen anything yet. But if so there's, there's something, I, th I think we collectively need to think about how, how survivability happens for some of this stuff, right? Like when somebody goes out of business, it's not like they can choose to keep sustaining it. So if you had a small, like I, I, so two points, I have two points. Uh, go for it. Go for about it. That. So one is, um, this is exactly what we're trying to do at Sternum with our product, because our, our entire approach, to this issue is listen, I'm not even talking about the IOT companies that like come and go. And, and, and there were instances, there's a company, maybe it was wise W Y Z E. Maybe yeah, that sounds right. That they went out of business and came back, which was very weird. Like they basically said all of drop your liabilities and then return. Right, all of your devices are now useless. Bye. <laughs> and then <laughs> like two months after something, someone acquired them. I'm not sure if it's wise, but it's one of those. Um, someone acquired them like, Hey, your devices are working again. Rat. Um, <laughs> So um, uh, uh, so our approach to this problem of, of, of security, at least, 
in, in Ster- at Sternum is, listen, we have a way, like a deterministic way of knowing when your device is being exploited as it happens. And like, it's not, it's not, it's like, it's no BS. It's working. It's working. There are demos, there are videos of me demoing it. You can see it. It's working. Um, if someone is exploiting like a memory corruption vulnerability, command injection, whatever, like we can see it as it happens and we can uh, 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 kill the exploitation process as it happens and your device is secured, which basically, basically, basically um, um, makes the whole subject of applying security patches from the vendor redundant because you have, I wouldn't say redundant, but it, it lowers... You have a fallback. The, yeah, you have a fallback. It lowers the threshold of panic when something happens because you know that if you have our product bundled into your firmware, you're secure, right? And for example, with that vulnerability we found with the stack buffer overflow, classic buffer overflow, easily, like that would have been easily prevented with our product. Uh, so that is our approach to that, right? Saying like, listen, patching IoT devices is kind of difficult. Maybe this is something you don't need to worry about. So this is one thing. Another thing about uh, companies going out of business, I, I have, you just reminded me, I completely forgot about it. Right before I left Israel, so like seven years ago, um, one of the, uh, a CTO of, I think what at least then was the biggest ISP in Israel reached out to me because, um, we met, uh, we met back at the time I was working for the government and he was like, listen, I have a problem. And I think that you're the guy I need to talk to him. Like, yo, what's up? And he's like, there are, um, there's uh, so CPE customer premises equipment, which is basically, um, if you get a router from your ISP, that's called a CPE. So we have a bunch of CPEs that we've given out to customers and, <laughs> and the company and the company that, um, uh, uh, makes those routers doesn't exist anymore. They went out of business and the, uh, SSL certificate that's that, that is on the device, which authenticates to our backend systems, like that is going to expire in four months. And we're in a problem. So can you maybe help us find a way to exploit the device and push a new SSL certificate via an exploit? So I did this little project with them back then, right? Which was kind of crazy because you have to go through all of this like patch by pwn uh, Mm -hmm. approach where, you know, like it's like they have a a, a, a a gun to their head, which is going to fire in three months when those SSL certificates are going to expire. Like we have to take care of this now. It's either that or going to I don't know how many people's homes and like replacing the equipment with something new and more expensive. So this this problem in IoT is 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 really bad because it's not only the consumer devices that are, you know very unsecure and, and in bad shape. It's also the, the, the non-consumer market who suffers. Mm-hmm. And then you have those like weird situations where an ISP says, you know, I have this many uh, 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 boxes at customers that I'm in, in three months, I won't be able to control them. And the customers won't be able to connect to the internet. And like, what are we going to do? We got to find some creative uh, uh, so, way to handle this. Problem. So I, lo- I love the, I love the approach that Sternum is taking here. I also think that companies, should be required to have strategies for those, those, those circumstances like aftermarket services that they that can be sold or transitioned to someone. There's things in the insurance model. There's open source stuff that can be done. Um, in other words, they they have to at least be able to say, here's how, here's how support for these devices could survive or when a root certificate becomes compromised and, and and we've seen CAs fall apart, 
right? So when that happens, mm-hmm. it's chaos for a bunch of devices. And then suddenly people go, well, which ones are in business and which ones aren't? And, and imagine trying to answer the question of where that bel- Belkin plug was in 10 years as opposed to now, right? Because I'm sure those things will be passed around and they'll be in boxes somewhere and they'll get plugged back in after five years and who knows, right? Some I facilities mean, guy at a hospital decided he had 30 of them and it's the easiest yeah. way to get something connected so we can see that they're on. And from the outside, do you, I, I, didn't, I didn't see the front of it. From the outside, do you even know it's a smart device or a at least a connected device? From the outside, it's, it's like a plastic a, box. Right. It looks like a plug. It looks like any right? other plug. Yeah. 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 That janitor in the hospital has no idea that it's different from other ones unless he actually takes a look at it and, and passes yeah, it. Yeah, and and, that, and those things really like that really irked me when I when I and I still when I go back to 2011 to that DefCon talk by Zach Cutlip, um, I think it was called from SQL injections to MIPS overflows something like that because the architecture of the router mm-hmm. was MIPS. MIPS um, overflows, my goodness, million instructions um, per second. And, and, and that takes me back to this. Like when I realized, oh my God, this is like an actual computer. This is not some, because I was like, I don't know, hardware, that's magic. It's like a bunch of chips together. That's it's magic. This thing is magic. There's no code running on it, right? Or, or engineering if there magic. is a code, it's like something real timey, like super low level, like bare bones C code that just like moves things from register to register. But it's no, it's actually like running Linux. Um, and when I saw that, and you know, when you try to compare that situation, when you look at a device like this, and when you look at a computer, you get, you go, okay, so if I bought, you know, I have my computer that I bought here, like my desktop computer that is like six or seven years old. I bought it when I moved to the US. It's still working. You know, I have, mm-hmm. I have Windows on it. It's getting patches from Microsoft. Like it's, it's working. It's not new, but it's working. It's working fine. It, 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 it does the job for me. But when you look at those things, you know, they push them out to the market. They issue one, two, three patches, and then they move on to the next thing. And it, next product, yeah. end of life. Yeah. Right, and then it's end of life. But you have, I mean, you can go on Showdown today and look for um, um, uh, like an ancient, I kind of want to do it right now. Uh, go on Showdown and look for like a very uh, ancient version of a router that I had back when I was in high school. I'm just curious. You remember the version? You're going to find it. Yeah, it's a Linksys. Let's see. Uh, Linksys, it was BFSR41. It was like a really old router running. What on. kind of memory do you have over there? Do you upgrade your brain? Um, my my, no, my uh, long term memory is really good. The, the, it's the short term. Clearly, sucks. clearly. I wonder why. Because we're in oh. Massachusetts. Um, yeah, I'm waiting for Shodan to. Uh... Oh my god, there's 152 of them. Wow. <laughs> it's it's less than what I thought, but still, this is a device from more than 20 years ago, and there's 152 of them. That are easily discoverable in three seconds. Yeah. Probably. So yeah. probably yeah. another few hundred yeah. at least. Yeah. And and that thing is running a software stack from again from back when I was in high school. I have a daughter now, thirty six years old. So it's it's I think that it's 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 just crazy that there is no legislation for it. There is no there's no real standard for this thing, right? They're making these computers. These computers are everywhere. Whether we mm-hmm. know it or whether we don't, you know, microcontrollers, like those things are everywhere. And there is no standard. There is no rule. There is no common approach to how are we going to support and secure those things. And then we get to a point where someone's Roomba is causing the entire Internet to not to work on the East Coast. It's crazy. So I have to we- tell you another story. So I have a I mentor people in the state in mass. Uh, one of them. Shout out to him. His name's Ayapan Rajesh. 
and uh, we were doing forgive me we were doing a boring project assessing like a town's re- response plan and he said what he really wanted was a cve number and i'm like okay cool you know he's like second year cs and cyber student and he loves cars so we were talking and i said hey you know most products that go to market like they don't make the components custom for every car that goes out they t- they reach up on the shelf and they take the operating system or the rtos and they just shove it in there and I said, my suspicion is that newer cars, they haven't gone and done all the back porting. Like they haven't gone back and said, okay, so the, the, the patch we did on the previous car, let's go and make sure we do it on the next car. And he went away on his own and he, he, he went to a friend of his who had a newer car that had just come out. It was a Honda. And um, sure enough, a vulnerability from a Honda from like three years ago appeared in the new car because they hadn't done that. So he he started to work on it and he told them about it and stuff. He got a CVE number that summer, by the way. He presented a black hat. But accidentally, it got out to the press that I had done it. Oh, no. Right? Yes. Yeah, so, so they called me and I'm like, no, no, I didn't. Then they found out even better. A student had done it. And like, good morning, America called him to go on TV. Poor what? guy. So like, but now he's yeah. doing this like regularly. He just went to black hat MEA. MEA. Uh, last year, but but it's everywhere, and and it's not just the old stuff. It's the old vulnerabilities turning up in the new stuff. Yeah, you and look that, at all that's those, the worst. Yeah, you look at all of those embedded. Uh, like you have um, you have some vulnerabilities in like embedded devices, like like Arto systems, like Ripple Twenty, and all of those. Oh yeah, uh, vulnerabilities, and that exists in everything, like cars, electric toothbrushes, like crazy stuff. And, and again, it's like, it, it, that would blew my mind back then. It's like, those little computers, they're everywhere. No one cares about them. It's like, no one cares about it. Not, not, not the, not the, 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 the vendor, not the consumer. No one gives a shit. Do you, it just uh, off the top of my, house, my head, I just had this thought um, about that and the prophylaxis of them. So most devices that you buy for your home now, home appliances, have a Wi-Fi option, whether you use it or not. So that includes stoves, electric stoves, not necessarily gas. Uh, some gas, I imagine, do. I don't know. I haven't looked it up. But That's electric right. stoves do have Wi-Fi connectivity. Uh, microwaves, washing machines, etc. Do you think you can, with stoves specifically, if you have the right exploit, do you think you can cause fires? Yeah, I, absolutely. Do, 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 do you think there's dryers too? A lot of dryers are actually natural like my, gas. I, I have a gas dryer, but I have a gas dryer from like the early 2000s. So there's no, like it came with the house. There's no real smartness. in Cause you could over depending on how they implement it. If they have a very dumb, I actually took it apart. There's nothing in it. <laughs> Like, well, well mechanical fail safes are still super important yeah. in those circumstances. Right? right. So if you have a temperature measuring on a, an analog circuit that measures temperature and shuts the stove off, if it increases mm-hmm. temperature, no matter what, no matter what, the no matter what instructions. But are I right. wonder if there are ones that are just using the computer. It monitors the temperature because that was the cheapest way. Well, it and turns out a lot of our a lot of our grid, despite the smartness, quote unquote, yeah. it still has those mechanical fail safes. And there have been attacks on the smart grid, and a lot of them have failed to spread very far because of those mechanical failsafes. Still, that's so. We need to definitely push that though. More, yeah, yeah. More I, I, um, I think that all of those, like, it doesn't even need. It doesn't need to be. A, doesn't need to be a dryer. Even it could be something that you can actually control in some way. The the electrical components that that uh, you know take the voltage from one twenty and lower it to twelve volts or something. 
what if you can make that thing overheat or miscalculate something or uh, not regulate the voltage properly, that will explode too. I mean, a, a temperature sensor, I happen to have one here. That's a temperature sensor. Like, there's nothing on it. Right. Um, uh, so there's no... There's well, no back. real lot like that. You're 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 really relying on on the the skills of the programmers that are writing the firmware. And again, after doing it for cheapest bidder, <laughs> it's magnificent, of course. No, yeah. after doing it for so many years, to the point where I have a command injection tattooed on my arm. I always show this. Um, after doing it for so many years, it's like. I mean, programmers use the C language as if it was a scripting language, and they call system a million times. I remember looking at a, at a, a firmware of a... I was still at CyberReason back then. Looking at a, a, a firmware of a Netgear router. It's somewhere on my on, archived on my Twitter profile. And there were like hundreds, hundreds, like 400, 500 calls to system, which is like the worst thing you can do mm-hmm. in, in like programming. That's slow too. It's super inefficient from a coding It's stupid. There's no reason to do that. And and it's like every one of those calls was, was vulnerable to a command ejection. It's so dumb. Like, wow. why would you do that? Uh, but 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 again, people are doing that and those things get, get shipped. It, it makes it, 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 it makes it into the CI. It, it, it gets compiled. It gets, it gets shipped. And, 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 and companies are getting owned by that. There was, there was uh, uh, again, also when I was at Cyber Reason, there we were involved in a, in a, in a uh, uh, um, incident response engagement where I, 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 I was, I, I was taking part in this one, and it was a company that did everything right, two factor and everything, and like everything was super secured and hardened and like really like it was the best. Uh, uh, it was the best uh, knowledgeable CISO that I've ever spoken to in, 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 at a client, like really doing things amazingly. But they got popped really bad by a nation state and they stole like gigs of source code. Mm. And when we went and started looking at what happened, we saw that there was a connection to their, they were using, they were using SVN, not even Git. And they had a connection to their SVN repository from a badge reader. <laughs> in the building so apparently <laughs> apparently that badge reader was connected to the same network no segmentation totally flat there. yeah and wow. that badge reader was vulnerable to like a command injection or something really stupid attackers went and and, and got a shell on that device used it as sort of a proxy to get inside a network and they were pwned and that's it to that Badge reader, do you recall? Did it have a public IP, or did they do something? I, I, they got I in don't the remember. And then... It's been a few years, but I. I, I that's I, yeah, remarkable. Yeah, but I, I assume it was accessible to the internet. I mean, <laughs> yeah, all those things right. are, which is do, which is nuts. <laughs> but... I, I, there's two things that just came to mind too, because we we usually try to record an hour, and I think there's two things that would be really cool for our listeners um, mm. that we typically don't do. Uh, one would be just walking through your workflow. Like, how do you work every day? to find new exploits. I think As, assuming really, there is a workflow, by the way. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, assuming it's not just a crazy, well, I wake two, up. you have, that's good. It's you, a startup. Yeah. Like, what are the tools you use every day? What's your common workflow? We usually don't talk about that level of technical stuff, but this, this topic specifically around exploitation really, really interests yeah. our audience and others. And then do you mind showing your desk? Like, what do you keep on that? Um, your yeah, hardware hacking um, desk? I, like what I is your, try? It's a bit, I have another camera there. I'm, I'm not sure it's going to work. I can try. Let's just so people know what to hack so to play country music for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, I, smart so, uh, speakers. Do you the have? Riverside won't let me uh, switch cameras, but um, I can t- I can try and show you what's there. 
Um, so as, yeah, would- as for the workflow, um, if I get a product, and I actually have a project like this right now that I'm, it's, it's on my desk here. Um, if I get a, and I have a product that like I've never seen in my life, never touched it, no firmware, no nothing. First time I've been seeing it. It's a smart home hub. So the story behind it is really cool. Like a, a, a journalist friend reached out to me. He was like, "Hey, I live in a in a managed apartment complex in in um, in, in New York, and they have noticed that us that they, uh, they they've notified us that they're replacing all of the locks in the building with smart locks." So right now they have a key, but they're not going to have a key anymore. They're going to have this lock, which is a Yale Z-Wave smart lock. Uh, I'm treating it very nicely, as you can see. And and with that... Oh, my lock picking skills are going to be useless. No. (laughs) And and they're basically giving you a lock, and they're giving you a Z-Wave hub, and that Z-Wave hub is connected to the building, so the building can, you know, manage your lock, but you can manage your lock too. It's like this whole thing. So this uh, journalist was like, no, I don't want this in my apartment. This is crazy. So he said, no, I'm I'm opting out. I want a key. They said, okay, so can you, because they left all of those kits outside uh, the tenant's doors because they, uh, the day after, like someone was supposed to come and like, you know, install it. (laughs) And he said, well, I don't want it. So they say, okay, that's fine. You don't have to. Can you give us back the box? And he said, well, I don't. What box? I don't have the box. And the reason that he said, I don't have the box is that because he mailed me that box. <laughs> and, and that's what you just saw. Um, so I, oh, I, wow. I've been working on that hub for, um, what, three weeks now. And I've, uh, it's actually a very well-secured product. It's like the one of the most secured embedded products that I've ever seen. Still, I have a root shell on it. It just took me hmm. two weeks instead of 10 minutes. Um and, and, and my approach is always, my, my approach, I, I, have a, I have a few approaches, actually. So the first approach, if, if it's a device that I've never seen, uh, I'll plug it in, I'll configure it like a normal user, and I'll just try to use it. I'll just go, if it has like a web UI, I'll go to the web UI, and I'll just, I'll just use it. I'll just see how things are working. And I'll try to, and it, I know it sounds kind of weird, but I swear that's how I think. I'll try to imagine, like, it, it, it sounds so stupid. I, I, no, say it. It sounds dumb. But I'm trying to imagine, like, okay, if 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 I were the code, I swear, if I were the code, what would I do? Like, how would um, you operate? Yeah, yeah, like that. Like, I'm trying to like really under. Like, I'm I'm literally guessing. Oh, um, there's an, uh, for example, um, a, a screen where you can configure the, the 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 IP address of the device on your network, right? Like, okay, are they, like, is it like, are they actually use like, when, you, when you're when you going into the text box and writing the IP address, are they actually using the uh, operating system's API in order to, to do that? Or are they being lazy and calling system? And, like, you know, they're doing, like, system, ifconfig, blah, 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 percentage S, blah, 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 blah. And, like, and usually that's what they do. So my, my first thing that I always do, and, again, that's why I have it tattooed on my arm, is I type semicolon reboot in everything. And I hit submit submit and if it even if the device reboots i know that i have code execution in a lot of cases it just works after like five minutes like that that, and that's how i exploit devices if that doesn't work then it means that we need to do some reverse engineering and 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 to see how things really work and how the code works Um, if there is a firmware update available for the device online from the vendor that's great you can download the, the firmware update if it's not encrypted then extracting it usually 
isn't that difficult. If it is encrypted, you got to see how it's encrypted. If the, is, is the key available somewhere? Did someone write a, a decryptor for it before? Uh, if the firmware is encrypted, it's a bit more um, difficult. You either need to... It's not trivial. Yeah, you, need, you either need to work on decrypting it or what... And, and that's what I did with the, um, with the Wemo device is I dumped the firmware straight from the flash. So I would right. I would where it was find, already unencrypted yeah, and expanded. Part, I will find where the chip is that flash that holds the firmware, and then I'll attach like a test clip or something to it, and I'll dump the firmware straight from it. Um, then when I have the firmware, I can actually start like I, I need to extract it. If it's a Linux device, you get like a Linux file system uh, that you can actually start looking at the files, and then that's another thing like what is running, what is not running, uh, what is uh, what is the program that like where is the web server, where what other things are running. Um, uh, but again, this is like static analysis because you have the image on your machine. It's not running. And you, again, you're sort of guessing the next step. If there's no breakthrough would be to either try to emulate the firmware on my computer or like, which is more difficult, like get basically get, uh, put, put the firmware in an emulator as if it was a VM and try to get it to run. And then because it's running on my machine, I can debug it, I can do all sorts of things to it. That's usually kind of, that's a kind of a difficult task because um, the kernel looks for a bunch of stuff that are available on, you know, on the board of the device and, and, and I don't know how to emulate them. Like they're, you know, it's trying to find like the LED blinky mm. blinky light or whatever, or the controller that makes the light go blinky blinky and I don't have a way to emulate it. So if that doesn't work, then the real fun starts, which is and, and that's exactly what I did with this smart home project, smart hub project, where I would try to get physical uh, a shell on the device because I have a physical access to it. So I'll take it apart. I'll, I'll, I'll look at the board. Usually you have like debugging headers on the board where you can, if you're lucky enough, you can get a shell, like a root shell straight by, by hooking three wire. Right, through a serial. Yeah, connection. like a UART mm-hmm. interface, exactly. And if that, that's if you're lucky. If you're not lucky, there are protections on it, and then you have to bypass them. And then after all of this work, which I'm like really, really, you know, compressing into a few sentences, um, you get a working uh, a working shell on a working device, and then you can really see what's going on. And that's actually what happened to me with this hub, because it actually has. It's really interesting. I haven't seen it, but it's uh, I haven't seen it before. It has an encrypted file system that is supposed to be very secure. It's loaded in a secure way. You have <clears throat> you have um, because if you boot the device, even if you escape the bootloader, you get a root shell, but on a, on a system that has nothing on it. Like ah, the entire point of that system is to boot the secure part of the of the product. So, so does it have a bootloader that runs first, and then it loads the shell operating system, which then side loads the main operating system? It's a bootloader that runs first, and it loads a bunch of of kernel drivers uh, for like the encrypted file system and all that. It'll then unmount everything it had mounted before. It will mount the encrypted file system, decrypt it, and then unload, or rather use use in it to load a new kernel that has completely other things, and it loaded from the encrypted block that you have just mounted yeah, and they, they've done that so you know so that they'll have a more secure way of booting the device so th- that you won't be able to plug into the uart headers and get a root shell where the secret sauce is i, I would call out too real quick for, for listeners who 
don't dabble really in the depths of how Linux and operating systems work. This is one of the core advantages to Linux that us really nerdy people love. You can do that type of thing, such as swap your kernel out hot. So like Windows or Mac even, typically you can't really swap out the parts that are interacting with the hardware and the, what you see the user interface. That's what the kernel's doing. Yeah, it's it's um, it's, it's really it's really. And by the way, there's a lot of vulnerabilities in the sequence you just said. So even if you're not looking to take control, yeah, that's what actually that's actually what I thing up. So now I have a root shell on like the encrypted file system, and like I can see anything, and I can actually debug what's going on. But that was a process that took me two weeks just to understand what's going on and how I can hijack some of the parts. And exactly, like it, it, it's it's really hard to make those things foolproof without like proper. Code sign without actual hardware roots of trust and actually tethering and yeah and again stuff. you have to do this thing on on, on on something as small as this isn't you know but that is uh, let's see if I can show you that That's is pretty good there you can to be clear he doesn't make bombs for a living yeah no I <laughs> desk of a reverse yeah. engineer so anymore those, yeah <laughs> those uh, those probes that you can see here they're basically just holding the wires to the board. Mm -hmm. And that thing, and there's a and there's a USB hub on that desk that has all of my uh, really like all of my hardware hacking tools uh, connected to it. So, like one example is this board, the JTAGulator, which is really useful to find uh, JTAG awesome. or UART headers yep. on the board. So, if you don't know, so let's say you have a bunch of touch points on the board and you don't know what they are, here you have 24 channels that you can just connect a bunch of wires touch the touch points of the board and this piece of hardware will actually try to enumerate and guess what is the right pinout and where is that's pretty cool where is the header that you're that's that you're awesome. looking for so all of those i have a few of those gadgets they're connected to a usb hub that runs all the way back to this desk where i have my computer and i'm you know doing doing my my uh doing my work so it's kind of hard to show that but basically there's some harmony there man yeah there is yeah but it's a lot of yeah. a lot of small tools and cutters and soldering irons. So I have to ask though, um, how long you've been following that workflow, and how how has it changed? Yeah, with regards to IoT or in general. Yeah, with regards to with regards to shall we say analysis. I think because it was different to software days. I remember, I remember you were self denigrating about how you used to analyze malware, for instance. But yeah. Yeah, with malware, it's it's a bit different because you don't it's have totally the hardware yeah. component. But it's 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 still it's it's still a black box thing. You know, you have to look at an executable, and if there's any uh, obfuscation or encryption or whatever, you gotta you know let it load, dump the memory. It's 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 almost a, it's almost a similar process, but in a different layer. You know, there's more there's much more um, physical stuff you have to do on on IoT devices. Again, like open open the 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 you know open the enclosure and, and reveal the board and then look at the board and understand mm -hmm. where are all those where elements you can possibly, of form, yeah. you know, find a UART header or a JTAG header or whatever. Um, How has anything pleasantly you surprised you? Have you been like opened it up and been like, what, and, and gone through this process and been like, man, th these people did it well. Yeah. With this box, there's a temper, uh, there's a temper proof. Temper switch. proofing. Yeah. Um, nice. Um, which I, didn't in the code. I didn't find where it actually registers the the the, the fact that it was open. The switch is there. <laughs> I haven't find uh, I haven't found yet what it's actually doing, but it's 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 there. Uh, but with the encryption and with all of the stuff that they did, it's actually a a, a, a well made device. What what I'm working on now, by the way, the attack that I'm working on this device is something that I call the evil plumber attack. 
So it's almost like a Mario a, reference. Yeah. So I, I think that attacking this device remotely is difficult. So what I'm resorting to is there is a mode that if you have physical access to the device and you hit a certain, and you, there's two buttons on the device. If you press one of them for three seconds, it'll go into the state where, um, because you can, you can connect it to your network either via an ethernet cable or Wi-Fi. But in order mm. to connect it to the Wi-Fi, you have to hold a button there for three seconds. It'll go into Wi-Fi pairing mode. It'll open a hotspot on the device. You will then connect to that hotspot. Wow. It'll open a web page. And through that web page, you configure the, wi- the Wi-Fi. So right now what I see is that I think that there is like a, a, a few uh, vulnerabilities in that, in that web application that you use to configure the device. So hopefully if... Um, uh, uh, my research uh, 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 and exploits will work. It'll it'll be an attack where let's say you have one of those in your apartment and you I don't know call a plumber or an electrician. Uh, that guy mm. uh, will see Wario. Huh? Mario's evil. Yeah, yeah, Wario. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Wario oh. will see the the hub. He'll hold it for three seconds, connect to it from his phone, exploit it. The end result would be like they'll steal your yeah. keys, right? Or well, they can open it for some, for their compatriots who are going to come by when you're not there. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's the that's what I'm working on right now. So it's it's you have and an apartment complex. Yeah. If yeah. a guy with the right look shows up to your door and says, "I came from maintenance," that's a completely realistic scenario. Yeah. Yeah. So. Th- or the actual guy from maintenance was given hundred bucks to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's or exactly less. what I'm working on, and it's it's a I, I won't I won't show you, but it's a it's like a real company. Wait, that, that's their logo. I'm, I'm going to hide it, but it's it's a company, and they make solutions for like rental apartments. It, rental sounds, it sounds like if they put the effort into doing this well and even doing tamper proofing, that they probably will respond well to whatever you find. Yeah, like, they have they have a, a, a vulnerability disclosure program, and I'm actually very I'm very uh, hopeful that I'll be able to exploit it. It's it's, it's kind of annoying because there's a bunch of uh, like their web server runs on Java. The hell, who <laughs> uh, you know, but, Java people love, but I mean, Java. I mean, when do you consider yourself done on a project like this? Is it when you find the first thing, or is it when you find the most serious thing, or is it you, you've got a, a when full you get, when, I, when I get a, when I get a root shell. honestly, when I get a root shell on the device, remote, After that's just I, I have a root shell on the device now, but it, you have to take the device apart, you have to do a lot of things. But once my what once I'll be in a situation where I can hold the button for three seconds and then get a shell, I'm done. Hmm. I'm like done writing, writing the email done. Um, and you also find a lot of interesting things when you do that. Like, um, uh, a lot of stuff on that, uh, device goes to China. Hmm. So like, uh, it's, it's again, like a lot of those unsurprising. Yeah. A lot of those devices are like, you know, made by one Chinese company somewhere in China and they go, China, you say, hmm. and, uh, I believe it's pronounced China. Yeah, um, and they never heard of them. Yeah, and they uh, and they just white label it to your vendors. And I mean, Sam, I don't know if you remember, but uh, back at Cyber Reason 2017, uh, Yoav mm-hmm. and I found yeah. like uh, a, a, a very similar exploit that that left like a million security cameras vulnerable. Oh yeah, and there was actually I a botnet that. that made out of it. It was called the Perseri botnet, which was actually created by our exploits. <laughs> well, I'm gonna. I'm going to bring us to an end pretty soon here. On that note. <laughs> what? Yeah. It is I do remember exciting. that. Though. Go ahead, Jacob. I was going to say on that note, Amit, what, 
what else did we not cover personally? Like, is there anything else that the world should know about a MIT server that you typically or don't Or something talk you're about? excited about. Or, or something um, I want I want everyone to know that my name is pronounced Amit. Amit. Yeah. Amit. Um, yeah. And um, no, listen, I love I think I pronounce it right, don't I? I don't. Yeah. Do uh, I not? Jake, you do. Amit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're okay, Sam. <laughs> okay. Because um, I would, I would, I would really be embarrassed for at least. <laughs> no, nah, like, I'm, I'm used to it. There's two things I'm used to it. Uh, I'm used to people like butchering my name and people saying, and I get this like twice a week, every week since I moved here. Wow, you're not Indian. Like I get that every week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the last name is per- is correctly pronounced Serper. Uh, I actually learned because it's a Turkish last name, so I learned. Oh, is it wrong? Am I wrong? Very recently, that? like a few mm. months ago, I learned that it's actually pronounced. In the Turkish pronunciation, it's uh, Serpesh. Serpesh? Yeah. So how, how would you pronounce I just say 100% correctly your name? Sir, uh, I mean, through. well, Amit Serpesh. Well, in, 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 in like, the Sherpesh? proper pronunciation in Hebrew for me would be Selpel. Yeah, Selpel. But uh, right. Serper is how I, you know, I was run here in the US, and that's my name now, I guess. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm, I, I, love, I love what I do. I take I take pride in, in what I do. I think that the more the more the world's move the the more the world moves forward with how connected everything is. And it doesn't and when I say connected things, it doesn't mean that you know your light switch is connected. I'm talking about how we as people are connected. If it's like how political mm-hmm. outrage is being. Uh, uh, um, uh, um, expressed on social media and, and people are being pushed to do all sorts of weird and crazy things. If it's how, you know, um, our cars have APIs where you can, like, you know, send a packet and affect someone's car. And, you know... Eventually, personal APIs. In one of our previous in one of our previous podcasts, we talked to Daniel Meisler about assistance and personal APIs and how they'll interface with each other. So these things are converging. Yeah, Amazon had a company. I don't know if they still have them. They called Mechanical Turk, and it's basically a bunch of people doing manual tasks with an API. And their slogan was Mechanical Turk, artificial artificial intelligence. That was their uh, slogan back although, then. Although although AIs are now using Mechanical Turks to pass things like you know the robot checks. There there you go. So yeah. So we are we are all connected, and and I think that it's very. People assume that everything is fine, you know. People assume that if they get fine. a smart plug or a smart something, or I don't know, they drive their Tesla, which has an API, and you know, you know, all of those, they assume that it's fine. They assume that someone is actually, you know, someone is doing their job, and like things are secured. And no, things are. Things are really bad. <laughs> <laughs> this is just the wiring for our future robot overlords, by the way. Yeah, this is all yeah. setting up. Um, so I, I, I think that, you know, we need to remember that whoever, whoever, is, whoever is writing the code that runs on the things that we depend on is a human being. Mm. And human beings are really bad at programming secure things. Uh, and again, the, the, the evidence to that is how even the most secure things are getting hacked. It's just a matter of time and resources. When I used to work at the government, we called it like, what is the, um, what is the threshold of, of effort? Like, how much effort do you want to put into something? And effort means people and money. You put in enough people and money on a problem, you solve it. And it doesn't matter what, what problem it is. So, Well, the root of that, by the way, is a combination of, yes, human human faults, but also the fact 
security is still prioritized relatively low and we got to get products out. And that means we use off the shelf stuff and we take shortcuts or we we're rushing to get things out because we're humanly faulty. Right. And our systems are and our companies are. And we try to come up. We, I mean, the industry people, collectively, we try to come up with solutions, uh, S bombs and all of those things. But at the end of the day, Great. So you know that your device or your project is running an ancient version of some library that just got popped. As Great. It's just a list of things to exploit. Yeah. Like, well, what do you do now? Do you, do you deploy a patch on like 200,000 devices? Like, what, what do you do? So we keep, we as an industry, we keep coming up with those buzzwords. Oh, S-bombs. Great. Or, or whatever it is. And again, no offense to people who love S-bombs, but it's, it's just, it's, it's another buzzword that we all say okay that's to compensating control instead of fixing the room it's band-aids yeah Yeah, exactly and and again that's why i love the approach of what we do at stern and one of the reasons i joined because this is an actual solution to a big problem and this solution works now it's not like i'm trying to you know push the the product that we make although i'm really proud of it but the it the, the problem of security needs to be changed needs to be changed and it can be it it can never be solved it can only made better in, in increments, uh, but we got to have a paradigm shift. We got to understand yeah. that like creating new buzzwords and new technologies that are doing the same things that we have been doing for years, just like, you know, information security became cybersecurity, but it's the same thing. You just call it in a different. It is the same thing. Yeah. And, but, but I've always said for years, so most of the, most of the dimensions of security are things that we didn't do right the first time. And they're just going to keep getting worse. Logging didn't do it right. SIM identity didn't do it right. I am, you know, you know, it's file integrity didn't do it right. Anti-malware, etc. And if it's going to keep getting worse and somebody is going to be care enough to pay for the solution, there's a market. Yeah. There's people exploiting it's, it's it. It's hilarious how like identity management, which is a thing like it's it's from like my my, my wife works at a company that does identity management. It, like, yeah, I, it, we didn't do it right the first time, and we still don't. Yeah, it's like stuff that, that they've been trying to get right since like the late '90s, and now it's like a thing again. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it, and it, it's not going anywhere. I mean, yes, we will get improvements, but some of the some of the big problems are still really on the authorization and the policy side. Right, it's got to scale in ways. Right, never which is why we, as an industry, as people, we need to understand that whatever it is that we're doing is not working. No. No. <laughs> no. And on that note, yeah. on that lovely note, let's go do our jobs. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thank you, thank you for having me. This was really, really fun. It's always good to talk to you, man. And it's we good try to talk to, to you. So I, I, I'm in mass and Jacob, you're not far from us. We, we have to get together at some yeah, point. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm flying out tonight, but I'll be back in two weeks, hopefully. And All right. Two weeks. Oh, well, Dinner we'll see you when you get back, man. Yeah. Thank you.